Well, that was the, uh, that song came from Psalm 103. Psalm 103 written by David. And it was written, we believe, in a time where he was in a mess. He was in a season of chaos. I know no one can relate to chaos, but he was in a season of chaos. His own son was pursuing him to kill him, Absalom. In 2 Samuel 17, we, we know that he, was, he, David, was hiding in a cave. He was in a tough season. Well, welcome, gathering family. Welcome to everyone checking us out online. We're glad you're tuning in. We are in our third week of our Conquering the Cave series, where we're looking at a guy named David who spent some time in a cave, and we're learning how he conquered his cave so we can learn how we can conquer ours. So week one, week one, we talked about the cave of conversion. Remember for eight years he was running from King Saul and God would take him to a cave, the cave of conversion to transform him. It was there that God whispered to David, there's more in you, David. And then week two, we learned 20 years later, he's now 50 years old, he's on the throne. He's doing great. He's experiencing victory after victory after victory. And then he put himself in the cave of complacency and committed adultery with Bathsheba. But there again, God met him in his weakness and said, David, there's more in you. And now let's fast forward 10 more years. He's age 60. He's getting a little older. He's getting closer to the end. He's in maybe the fourth quarter of his life and he's about to experience the worst cave of all. The cave of chaos. Why do I say it's the worst cave? It's the worst cave because the people that are attacking him aren't his enemy. The people who are attacking him are his family. Maybe you can relate. And let me make your problem seem a little smaller today. The people that were attacking him, we, he had a wayward kid. He had rape in his family. He had murder. He had a fugitive on the run. He had all sorts of chaos going on in his family. Kind of like maybe what you feel about the nation right now. We're like, God, what are you doing? Some crazy stuff's happening. Let me, let, me, let me tell you something about God. We can't always see the things he's doing. <laughs> he is doing some stuff that we'll see in time. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, he said, life is lived forward, but only understood backwards. God's doing something in your cave, in your chaos. He is doing something that you can't see. He is transforming. He is doing a work in you that you will see in time. We'll see it in our world. We'll see it in our nation, I believe. It's a great work, but it's a tough work. Are you up for the challenge? Because God, God wants to move us from me to us. Remember the first week, there's more in me. Week two, there's more in me. But God wants to move our me to an us. It was never meant to stay at a me. And so God whispered to David, he said, there's more in you. So that David could whisper to himself in the cave, there's more in me. So that he could one day leave the cave and go reach a nation, the nation of Israel. And we could go reach our city, the city of surprise. And we could say and declare, there's more in us. Amen? Come on. There's more in us. That's the title of this message today, there's more in us. Thanks, thanks, Gavin. It's best, 
it's best he stops that because uh, it's good for all of us to get, get you out on time today. But uh, so the trouble started, all his trouble, David's trouble started when he started marrying all these wives. We know he had eight. Now that's not a knock against the ladies, all right, relax. I'm just saying when you marry eight at the same time, you can probably deduce or infer that there might be a little bit of trouble headed your way, right? So he's got eight wives that we know of that they're listed in the Bible, plus 10 concubines, okay? He was a busy man. And if you want to know what multiple wives, the kind of chaos that it will cause in your life, you can do a research development or research and some study by watching Sister Wives. <laughs> so to make matters worse, make matters worse, his son Absalom, he was a hottie. The Bible says so, okay? Let's go to Scripture. 2 Samuel verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 25. All Israel there, in, in all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Not one pimple, not one wrinkle, not one bald spot. In fact, the Bible actually talks about his hair. He gives us the detail. He would cut his hair once a year, the Bible says, and he would cut it annually. And when he cut it, the Bible says it weighed 200 shekels. That's five pounds of beautiful hair. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's, a, that's a lot of Rogaine, y'all. So historians, along with theologians and geneticists, they got together and they used facial recreation to actually give us a rendering of what Absalom would have looked like. Check it out. Oh, never gets old. And I don't know what, it's the, what Pastor Jordan's deal is with the bananas. Like every meeting, he's eating a banana. So we're always like taking pictures in our meetings and some banana fetish. I don't know. So if you want to read the story of Absalom in its entirety, uh, it's 2 Samuel chapters 13 through chapter 18. I encourage you to, to do that at home. Study the word of God. You know, don't just listen to me once a week. Man, take your Bible Read it, study it. It's some powerful stuff in there. But let me give you a quick overview. So Absalom was the third son of King David. Now, the problem with being the third son is you're not the first son. The first son gets to inherit the throne. He's third in line. Now, there was a, he had a brother, Kiliab. Somehow we think he died because he wasn't mentioned. So really, he's probably only got one, one speed bump to get over. And I say, I say it that way. That sounds terrible. But that's the way he looked at it. Absalom was not a nice guy. His brother, the oldest of, of uh, King David's kids, was uh, Amnon. Amnon. And he was a trip, too. Let me tell you about Amnon. Amnon, he had a crush on Absalom's sister. Absalom's sister was, and, and by the way, they all have different, they have different moms. Uh, Amnon and Absalom, they have different moms. So they're only half-brothers. So he's got a crush on Tamar, which is Absalom's sister, which back in the day, they, the bloodlines were, you know, were more pure. And so that, that's okay if you live there or live in Kentucky. <clears throat> I, you know, there was a guy from Kentucky. I said that first service, he like, came up to me afterwards. He's from, literally from Kentucky visiting today for the first time. He's probably not coming back. 
But so Amnon, he was a trip. He, he really wasn't in love with Tamar. He was more in lust with her because what he did is he tricked her. He tricked her into bringing, he said, I'm sick, will you bring me food? So she brings him food to his house to, to, to be a blessing to, his half, to her half-brother. He bolts the door, he rapes her. And it's really sad because the consequences of sin, you know, the, the, he, she would go to live with her brother Absalom after that. And the Bible says she was a desolate woman, really sad. But, but David, for all the things he did right, the one thing he may have done wrong here in this story is, is that the Bible says he was furious over this. You know, his, his, his son, Absalom, or I'm sorry, his son, Amnon, does this terrible, heinous thing, right? And the Bible says he, he was furious. He didn't do anything. James Baldwin said that not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. We gotta face our issues, right? And so two years goes by. What do you think happens to Absalom? He gets angry for what Amnon had done to his sister. He gets angry and, and he plans and he plots. And two years later, he has this party. He has all his brothers over to this big party. He gets Amnon drunk with wine. And the Bible says that when he was drunk with wine, he had his men, Absalom had his men kill his older brother. And that's where we pick up the text today. They're, they're on the run. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 37. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of Amhud, the king of Geshur. But King David mourned many days for his son. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there three, day, three years. And King David longed to be long to go to Absalom for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. So here the chapter ends with a longing, with hurt, with all this chaos. A father's heart is broken. Lord God, I thank you for the chaos that you send our way. You're not punishing us, God. You are preparing us for a great work. Help us move from me to us today and be obedient in this cave of chaos. In Jesus' name, amen. You can just see a dad's heart breaking. You can just say, God, when's the chaos gonna be over? My, 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 my one son's dead. The other's estranged. He's gone. He's been away for, for three years. Like, when's it gonna end? Let me tell you something about God's timing. I got good news. God's timing is God's training. Say it again. God's timing, as peculiar as it may be, is actually God's training. Now, the devil will try to, he's, he's the deceiver, right? And so he's going to flip that around. He's going to say that the, the God's timing is God's temper. In other words, God's got you in the cave of chaos because you were disobedient, because he doesn't love you, because you can't be forgiven, because you'll never get past your past. Mm -mm. That's the enemy. I'm telling you from God's word, God's timing is actually God's training. David's getting older. He's 60 years old, man. And God needs to move him to promote him from me to us. And he wants to do the same for you. And I just want to stop and say, thank you to our old people. I don't know why I looked at you when I said that, Gary. <laughs> but, but thank you to our old people. Here's why. Because to have a healthy church, somebody's got to realize that it's not about me. 
And yes, the young people have to realize that as well. But sometimes when you're older and you're wiser, you got a little more, you're, you got a little more maturity. You say, you know, I'm not sure I like all this, the, the haze and the smoke. And I'm not sure I like all the lights, but it's not about me. It's about us. And that's why you see a healthy church. You look around, you see eth- different ethnicities, you see different ages. That's a sign of a healthy church. But it takes old people who see a bigger picture. Thank you for being, yeah. All the old people are like, am I supposed to clap? And what constitutes an old person? I ain't stepping in that one. You can figure that out. Um, but, but I want to illustrate God's timing is God's training because I, you know, I, I think it's easy for us to just kind of gloss this over. That's what I, I love the alliteration. God's, you know, timing is God's training. But let's, I want to drive this point home. And so what I want to do is I want to, uh, yeah, we got some, we got, some, we got uh, Julian, you come on up. Come on up here, Julian. Yeah. So let me give you a little history in, in sports science. So basically prior to 1970, uh, the common thought about strength training, we, we bought into the concept of uh, linear periodization. Now put that up for me. That's, uh, we believe that gains, gains are achieved linearly, like, uh, like through constant, progressive, cumulative lifts after another. And to some degree, that's true. But then in 1970, this guy, this Russian uh, sports scientist named Yuri uh, Verkoshensky, uh, we'll call him Dr. V, he came along and he did this study, right? He, and he got all these tr- big, strong track athletes, track and field athletes. And what he did is he began to train them in what he called block training, where he, he would take a, just a block of time, like say a week, and he would focus on one muscle group. In this case, he, he, he focused on barbell lifts. So for one week, do the same lift over and over and over and over again. Would it increase your maximal strength? And so this is, he would do, he would do clean and jerks, right? Now clean and jerks, that's a clean and jerk right there. I do those at home. I tell Levi, clean your room, you jerk. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Look at that. Come on. Oh yeah. Come on. Come on. Come on, is it, are you not impressed today? Come on. One more, one more, one more, one more. One more, one more up. Dup, dup, dup. Come on, give God praise for a nice, clean, and jerk. Yes, that was good, man. That was good stuff. And if you think it's so easy, you come up here and try it, all right? Trust me, that's a lot of weight. It's, that's not, I, know, I know there's some dude in here. My fireman, I know you're like itching. You're like Jones, let me show you. Nah, it's all right. We actually did that last service and it, it, it got kind of messy. We had some, a lot of egos that, going on. So what do you think they found in this study? Well, they began to test the people and what they were finding is the strength, the maximal strength after a week of this intense focused activity in one muscle group, they found that it actually decreased. And so everyone's like, Dr. V, uh, your study is a failure, you know? And he's like, well, no, I'm gonna keep it going for a little, little while longer. And so a girl that was in the study became pregnant and she's like, hey, I'm out. And he's like, well, can we, can we, uh, can we continue to monitor you? He's like, yeah, no problem. So they test her a week later or so, same thing. Guess what happened to her strength? It increased by 30%. So Dr. V's like, what's going on here? Intense workout followed by a delay 
increase. So he tests the rest of them, does the same exact thing. Intense works out in a block, gives them a rest, comes back and tests them, 30% increase. Here's what I'm saying. The delay produces the gains. It's true in our physique and it's true in your faith. There's a delay, a God-induced delay because God's training is actually God's, or God's timing is God's training. And so that God-induced delay gives us gains. I got some proof. I got some proof. And y'all are way too quiet. I don't know where y'all grew up in church, but in this church, we're loud. And, and the funny thing is, service one is loud as can be. We got people running down the aisles doing car wheels. Not really. But they're crazy loud, and y'all are, y'all are like, uh, I'm in church. Like, we're having, some, we're having some fun in here. Are you excited about Jesus today? Come on. Shoot. Don't give the Daytona 500 your best praise. Give it to Jesus. Come on. Cardinals got nothing on heaven. Amen? So, I got proof. And, I, and it's a big announcement. Okay? Some of you heard about a big announcement. Here's proof that the delay produces the gains. So three years ago, we bought 12 acres on Olive and Reams, and we were so excited. I'm like, we're gonna build, woohoo! God said, uh, pump the brakes, delay. There was an easement that we couldn't get resolved. So a year later, Gary, through some great... Uh, Salesmanship. I still got, this is a really cool story. I wish I had time to tell you. But he, he calls the people that own the 16 acres that were connected and he's like, can we buy it? And they're like, no. And then they call us back, yes, right? And so, so we end up buying that. So, so, so now we've got 28 acres. This was now two years ago. And I'm like, we're gonna build. And God said, delay, delay of game. I'm like, what's going on, God? Delay after delay. Well, there's still this easement issue. We still couldn't build. Then, oh, I don't know, about eight, nine months ago or so, uh, a landowner that that's, uh, that's builds homes came to us and said, hey, um, you're 28 acres. We'd like to offer you. We'd like to buy it, and we'd like to give you a, an offer on that. Oh, yeah, well, what's your offer? $10 million. I said, I'm a godly man. I need to pray about it. Yes. <laughs> and so, so the delay produced a gain. How much gain? Well, we have a total of 3 million into it. So if you're not good at math, that's a $7 million gain produced by the delay. God, what are you doing? Just trust me, son. Just trust me. So here, here, here bring up to speed. There's the 28 acres is currently under contract uh, and is due to close in a couple months. We are currently securing a 16-acre parcel that is very close to here. Yeah, so those of you that live around here, you'll be happy to hear that. It's very close to here. You could pretty much walk to the location from here. And uh, so if, here's the plan. If all goes well, everything closes on the land, on the 28 acres, and everything 
offers that are finalized on the current land we're trying to buy. If all that goes well, like we think it will, basically the plan would be we would own 16 acres close to here, free and clear, and have $2.5 million to put towards the new building. Praise God, come on. The delay produces the gains. But now in full disclosure, full disclosure, we're looking at 2.5 years from the time that we begin building. That's, that's, that ain't me, y'all. That's just how long it takes. So from the time we start, which hopefully that'll be in the very uh, near future, then it's about a two and a half year period. And by the way, there's a me- business meeting. If you wanna know more, two weeks from now, September 11th, 12, 15, after the second gathering in two weeks, we're gonna have a business meeting. You can ask all the questions. And if you, or if you want to, to know more, you can see Pastor Michael. You can see one of our elders, uh, Gary, and, and some of the others, They're, they'll be out there. Um, but you say, uh, but Pastor John, what are we gonna do? Because like, we're running out of space and we can't make it here. Oh, yeah, praise God, praise God. We've been here for since what, January, and I think we've grown by almost 400 people, right? Yeah, that's a lot in, I don't know how many months that is. Yeah, that, so God's doing something. Like God's doing something crazy in our community and he's using in part the gathering to do it. And, and I'm, I'm so, so excited, but I'm also like, God, like what are we gonna do? We, we, can't, we can't go to another service, a third service, because people get here at 5 a.m. just to set it up to get ready for our nine o'clock and our 1045. And so we can't, go any, we can't do any more services. So God, what are we going to do? Now what? Well, God worked another miracle. Beginning September 25th, in a few weeks, we will be moving to the Vista Center for the Arts. Come on. Over there on Greenway and Parkview Roads. It is the biggest and best venue in town. It seats 1,400 people. This seats 500. And so we have all the space we'll need to grow into the church that God is, is, is growing us into. And here's the cool part. Remember last time we were there, we kind of had a bad experience because they started booking stuff when we were there. How you know that's not gonna happen again, Pastor? Well, because Jim Dean, the new uh, Dysart uh, superintendent, is a godly man. And we, we, he loves the gathering, loves what God's doing. And he, we were doing a contract where they're not gonna, with, with the exception of a few small things they have already booked, they're not booking anything for the next two years at that place except for the gathering on Sundays. Amen? Come on. And it just reminds me of this quote. When it's not in God's time, you can't force it. When it is God's time, you can't stop it. Amen? Come on. All right, so I, I just, I've been sitting on that for a while, and that news, and y'all, so thank you for trusting me. You know, I know some of you are like, you know, what are you doing? What's this going on? I'm like, oh, I want to tell you. But like until things were farther down the road, I didn't feel like I was released to. So thank you for your trust. Uh, we, we take that very ser- I take that very seriously. Um, but I just wish, back to our story, I just wish that I could, you know, you, you, you got, imagine you're in David's place. You got a son who murdered another one of your son. You got the whole rape thing. You got a son that's estranged, but even though he did this terrible act, you still kind of miss him. And so I wonder what he was going on through in his head. I wonder what he was, was thinking. I wonder what his prayers were like. We know the answer. We know the answer. Psalm 62 was written during the persecution from Absalom. And so in the midst of his persecution, right, this is what he writes. This is what he says, says to God. My soul find rest in God. 
Do you know that sometimes you need to speak over yourself? My soul, find rest in God. Talk to yourself. You're not crazy if you talk to yourself. My soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Someone needs to hear that. You feel the, 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 the tremors, the, the shaking of chaos. And you need to cling to Jesus and say, I will not be moved. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, you're mine. <laughs> I'm steady in you. The world's, all oh, hell is breaking loose around me, but I'm, I'm steady. I'm firm in Christ. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on my parents' opinion of how I raise my kids. That's what some of us think. That's how some of us act like, not, not David. My, my salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my, my, my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him. Don't act like you got it all together. I give you permission to be a work in progress today and stand under the grace that fell from the cross that day when the blood fell. Like, I give you permission to be a work in progress. Pour out your heart to him and say, God, I need you. For God is our refuge. You know, you know what's noticeably absent from that? What we would have said. Fix my mess, God. Please, in Jesus' name, fix my mess. I want to help the orphan down the street. It's true. It is true. He didn't pray, God, fix my mess. He gave God praise. And I think a lot of us, when we're like Elijah, call down fire from heaven. I want to call down fire. There's a few enemies. I want to call down fire. I'm not going to lie to you. Smite him with fire. What happened to him? I don't know. He just was like a spontaneous combustion. I don't know. But fire is not the fix. Faithfulness is the fix. I'm glad you're back. I don't know where you were for the last 20 minutes, but this church needs you in that front row. You're going to free everyone up to be who God's created them to be. And I'm not saying everyone's doing cartwheels, but I think there's a lot of us that we've seen church done a certain way, and we're like, that, there's a lion in me. That song, Hey, Hey, Lion of Judah, it's God in Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let that lion out, man. Praise him with that lion. But... Faithfulness is the fix. Psalm 147, 11. God delights for those who hope in him. When you're faithful to God in your storm, in your cave, in the cave of chaos, you know that God delights in that? And I want to give you a picture of what it looks like. You're going to laugh. But it's a picture of what happens to God, the heart of God, when we keep our eyes on him and when we're focused and faithful in our cave of chaos. That's my dog, Murphy. Look at him. That's what we're worshiping. I'm looking at him. But watch what happens when I look away. All right? I'm about to look away. He doesn't hear, he doesn't hear praise. It stops. You're a good boy. He's a, you're a good boy. You're a good boy. And it starts wagging again. Watch it. Wait, 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 wait. Wait for it. You're a good boy. You want to warm the heart of your God? You want to bless your Father? Bless your name, oh Lord. We just sang about it. 
be faithful. 341 times in the Bible, you will find the word faithful. God never said to be clever. He said, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. Something happens in the cave. Remember we talked about the cave of conversion? There's a transformation that happens, a good transformation, but there's also, if we're not careful, a transformation that happens in a bad way. We can, if we're not careful, we can transform into rappers. I'm not saying rapping is bad, but just hear me out. All of a sudden we get in this cave, and I know you're a rapper. We heard you at the women's retreat. That was awesome. Don't let her fool you. She can rap. But something happens. Remember, remember Vanilla Ice? Finish this line. If there's a problem, you'll all solve it. And that's exactly what we think our job is in the midst of our cave of chaos. Oh, there's a problem. And so, God, you need my ingenuity, right? You need me to okay, I'll help you out. I'll help you out, God. I'll go ahead and solve it, right? And we begin to try to fix a bunch of stuff. And God said, oh, the fix is faithfulness. I just need you to be faithful. I just need you to do the next right thing. I got you in here for a reason. I'm doing something you can't see, you can't know. It happens over time. I'm training you. But I don't need you to be clever. I want you to begin to ask this question. Ask this question. Is this a problem to solve or attention to manage? Because not every problem is a problem. Some of it's irreconcilable tension that is commensurate with the Christian life. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have chaos. You will have some drama. I'm not talking about the self-induced drama you went because you were in the club, right? I'm not talking about that. Don't be stupid, right? That's first assumptions 314. Don't be stupid. But you're going to have some trouble. You're going to have some chaos. And, and not all of that is yours to fix. Oh, thank you. Yeah, free me up, man. I mean, I don't have to, no. God says, just be faithful. Stop trying to fix stuff. It's like the wife who, who covers for an absent husband and, and she becomes codependent. Or, or the parents that swoop in and save the day. Don't save the day. The other day, my, my kid, Levi, he was flying in his little Ford Mustang. That's all right, happens all the time. Guy in the blue shirt. I'm, to, I'm totally joking, I'm totally joking. Can you safety get him out of here, would you? I'm totally kidding. So he go, he's storming out of the neighborhood, right? He's storming out of the neighborhood. And he's in his little Ford Mustang. It's a, it's a four-banger. I mean, it's not, it's not a, it's not a five-o. But it is a turbo. And he was using the turbo through our neighborhood. And I'm like, oh no, 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 no. So I pull over, I'm like, call Lee. I'm like, hey, you can't be driving like that. I said, if you get a speeding ticket. You're paying for every dollar that ticket. Oh, and by the way, your insurance is linked to ours, and so you're paying the increase for all of our insurance. And you say, oh, you're such a jerk. Well, I told you last week, yes, I can be a jerk. If you, if you, if you, don't, if you can listen to last week's message if you missed it. I, I got my issues. But that's not an issue at that point. That's training up a child to learn how to be faithful where mommy and daddy don't swoop in and fix their mess. Hmm. But, but I want to I I give you the nugget that God gave me. I, I was, I've been I was praying, I was studying, man, and, and this is, and, and this, 
Don't miss this because I, I know it's for someone because God gave it to me and it was deeper than I could have. Uh, I couldn't produce it in, in, in the natural. So uh, this is for someone. I think years in the cave taught David a valuable lesson. You see, we all have an Absalom that's attacking us, right? God's not, don't, don't try to pray your Absalom away, right? I mean, God's probably not gonna take your storm away, your cave away, but he's, he will teach you to be faithful in the storm. And so we all have an Absalom attacking. And so here's what I think you learn. The cave is not about killing the Absalom that's attacking you. It's about killing the Absalom within you. Someone say amen. Say amen like you, it could be for you and not your neighbor, or you're not your spouse. I'm so glad he came to church today. Whew, that was for you, sweetheart. <laughs> it's for me. I'm just telling you, it's, it's for me. And see, we want to go from me to us. That's a progression, right? That's, God wants us to do that. Guess what's right smack in the middle? Your Absalom, my Absalom. Can't go over it, can't go around it. Gotta go through it. We gotta go through it. We gotta go through that Absalom. You know, people say, oh, I pray for knowledge. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna go deeper. That's a big one in church, right? If you've been in church for more than like two weeks, you're like, I wanna go deeper. Well, deeper isn't a measure of knowledge, right? I mean, it's good to like memorize scripture. It's good to have knowledge. That's awesome. I mean, David did that, right? The, the word he said, have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee? That's old King James version, right? That's good to memorize scripture, but knowledge is not necessarily understanding. Knowledge is not wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied, knowledge lived out. I, I want to raise up a generation of believers who read their Bible, who have deep understanding, not just can quote a bunch of scripture. Like, that's awesome. Memorize scripture. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. But like, I want to go, I want to go deeper and I want to have discernment and understanding the supernatural, right? I want, I want to be ready for what God's going to do in my life and in, in the life of this church. And here's what I think, you, here's a measure, I believe, of depth. You ready, Mike, big calves? All right, guys got the biggest calves. We should have had you do that. Oh man, I wish I had time. Huh? <laughs> Leg extensions. So here's, here's where we need to get to the point, to, to, to where we say, I'm the problem. God's trying to solve. When we get to that place, there's a freedom that occurs when we realize that God's, he's working, he's working on me. I went through a church transition. It was pretty painful. I don't know, about four years ago. And um, I was butthurt, if I'm being honest. Can I say that? All right. I was, man. I was, uh, I was hurt. I was hurt. And for eight months, I couldn't heal. You know why I couldn't heal? Because I liked being the victim. It was easier to be the victim and be ticked off than to just, number one, forgive, but also realize I was complicit, right? Like there's things I look back and I did wrong. I wasn't the victim and neither are you. I mean, bad things may have happened to you, and I'm sorry if they did. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. But, like, I, I refused to live the rest of my life as, as, as a victim. And I couldn't heal because 
It was just easier being a victim. It was just easier being mad at somebody than to say, God, what are you teaching me? And so I had to, I had to do, I had to release something. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do, I had to do something that I'm going to ask you to do. I'm, I'm going to send you home because I love you. And I, I'm a shepherd and I care about your heart. I care about your life. I care about your families. And so I'm going to give you an assignment to do this week. Your assignment is this, very simple, and yet hard to do. Release your Absalom. We all have an Absalom to release. What's yours? What does it look like for you? For me, it was victimhood. It kept me from victory. For somebody else, it's blessing. I know it sounds crazy. What do you mean? A blessing. There was a blessing that God gave you. It had an expiration date, like a a jar of milk, right? Or a bottle of milk. It it, it, it expired. And God said, I want to give you something new. I want to bless you. I want to do something this season. But you're trying to recreate the past. That blessing has expired. Release it. Maybe for somebody, your Absalom is a lifestyle. Your lifestyle has become a limitation to the call that God has placed on your life. You're too busy trying to be like the Joneses. You don't have time for Jesus. For somebody, it's a habit. A habit is your Absalom. And you're holding on to that habit, but really that habit's holding on to you. And it's holding you hostage. We lost a 53-year-old who goes to this church. He died of fentanyl. This week. Don't let your Absalom hold you hostage. For somebody, it's a dream. It's a dream. What do you mean it's a dream, Pastor John? Dreams are good. Not if they're not from God. I've had a lot of dreams that weren't God dreams. And if it doesn't align with your will, no way. Release it. Drop it. For, for King David, you know his Absalom? Or his, uh, well, his Absalom was Absalom. It was a person. Because, I know it sounds crazy because, wait a second. We're supposed to love our kids and raise them up like Christ. Well, yeah, but anything you put before God is idolatry, even your kids. Like a lot of us, we, we want to live vicariously through our kids and we want them to be and have what we didn't have. God says, seek first, Matthew 6, 33, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. A good, healthy family, like we'll, we'll take care of that. But seek me first. Seek me first. And and here's the crazy thing, guys. I want to teach you this from from God's word today. What What did David do? What did David do when Absalom walked out of his life? We read it in the first scripture we read. He mourned, remember? He mourned. What was God doing when he took him out of his life? Because some of y'all, spoiler alert, some of you know the story and how it ends, and Absalom, it doesn't end well for Absalom. He's not a good guy. Now, everyone's redeemable, but not everyone is redeemed because of their choice, right? Free will. And and so what was God doing? God was taking him out of his life to, to bless him. It was a miracle that he took him out of his life. And you know what he's doing over the miracle? Mourning. Stop mourning over your miracle. God's doing something, and you can't see it. You don't understand it. It feels like chaos, but it's actually a blessing. It's actually a miracle, and we're whining to God. God, why you take Absalom out of my life? Trust me, you're going to thank me. You're going to thank me. I love, I love what Toby Mack said. He said, don't worry about the people God has removed from your life. He heard conversations you didn't. 
saw things you couldn't, and made moves you wouldn't. Ain't that the truth? (sighs) Because then Absalom returns. He comes back. And uh, three years later, he comes back, and you know what he starts doing? This this joker, he hangs outside the gate to the city. (laughs) And people come in, and they're like, oh, hey, Absalom, nice hair. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you like that? Um, Yeah, so uh, you're going to see the king? Yeah, I'm going to see the king. Well, listen, um, you know, if I was king, I would represent you all a lot better. You would get VIP tickets to uh, the ball game. You know, I would hook you up. I'd take care of you, and I'd be a better representation than my dad. I mean, you know, he tries, but, you know, he's getting kind of old. The Bible says that he stole the hearts of the people. That's what Absalom did. But I want to I read, close by reading David's response. This is how David responds to all that chaos. 2 Samuel 15, verse 14. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. Does that sound like the same guy that was thinking about himself with Bathsheba? Something happened. Something shifted inside that man. He realized that his chaos impacts others. His chaos is connected to other people. Thousands of people would would go with him on this journey. He wasn't running from a problem at this point. He was running to provision. And he was thinking about the people he was called to lead. Something shifted from me to us. Friends, I want to tell you this. Our, our chaos is connected. Our chaos is connected. The stuff you're going through, it ain't just about you. The hurt that you're enduring right now, the pain, the cave that you're in, it's not just about you. There's a nation of Israel. There's a city of surprise that is counting on us to get past our me so that we can love them. Yeah, because last time I checked, God didn't die so that we could go to church. He died so that we could be the church. That's why I'm so thankful for for people like CCV. All the stuff they've gone through as a church, and they did something chaotic. In the midst of their chaos, a couple years ago, they took an offering. They said, we want to give to other churches because we have 37,000 people that go to our church, like the biggest church in the nation. 37,000 people all total from all their locations, right? And praise God. But they realized that there's like 4.7 million in, in, in Phoenix and so that they can only reach less than 1% of the city. And yet, did you know that when you drive by McDonald's, for every one McDonald's in Phoenix, there are four churches. There's a lot of churches. The problem isn't do we have enough churches, although I'm all for church planting and we need that. The real thing is, 
How do we, how do we make the churches we have thrive so that we can reach our city? How do we do that? Well, they started a More Than Us initiative where they gave 27 churches resources. They gave us $100,000 and helped us buy the land because they realize that their chaos is connected. We're all connected to each other. Pure Heart. I just met with Pastor Dan Steffen over at Pure Heart this week. He runs a thing called Better, Than, Better Together where he gets pastors together, stop thinking like this and, and, and look at the whole world and how we can interact. Do you know that at the end of all their, all their services at Pure Heart, they pray for other churches. Next week, next week or the week after, they're gonna pray for the gathering because we're connected. The gathering church, what's our role? Well, we're, we're leaving, as you know, on the 25th. We're not leaving, I guess we're moving. Um, and we're going to come around and support uh, as best we can. It's not, it's, it's, not a, um, it's not a gathering church plant, but as you know from last week, Tribe City Church, uh, they are a, a, a church plant that uh, we're super excited to just come alongside and help in any way we can. We have limited resources, but we want to help them in whatever. They're, they're back there in the tribe. Sure, say hey. Say hey, what's up, guys? And so we are excited to announce that they will be planting their church, Tribe City Church, and they'll be in the lobby if you want to get more information, you can talk to them. Tribe City Church will be launching in early January of this year, about four months, and they are going to be meeting right here in this building. Come on. And listen, we're going to do what we can to help them. We love them. We want to be the church that we needed, right, when we planted. And I, what I quickly realized is that the West Side, we, we, we got to do better. And pastors, if you're listening to me, myself included, we have to do better. We are one team fighting for the same goal. We got to do better. God is watching how we respond, right? And so, uh, but listen, when we leave, if you don't want to drive, make the 10 minute drive, there's a church right here in your backyard. Yes, we're going to be moving back here ultimately in, in two and a half years or, when, or as soon as we can get built, we'll be back in the neighborhood. But if you choose, that's fine. Because here's the thing, you were never mine. You were always his. <laughs> I keep an open hand. And let me just finish by saying this. Jasmine, we're connected to Jasmine. Put her up. She's 29 weeks uh, pregnant and 28 years old. Had an unplanned pregnancy. And we're the, remember how, how I, I talked about we're gonna be a church that doesn't just complain about stuff, you know? Oh, you got an abortion. Like, no, no, we wanna help you. We wanna be proactive and be part of the solution. And so through an organization that we're partnering with, Embrace Grace, we're coming alongside Jasmine and we are gonna throw her a baby shower. We're gonna resource her. We're gonna do some Skype calls. And you say, Skype, why Skype? Well, because she's from Prescott. And guess who's the closest Embrace Grace cell to her? A little church without a building called The Gathering Church. <laughs> and here's the thing. She, she's probably never gonna set foot in this church. She's probably never gonna raise her hands or worship here. And that's okay because there's more in us. And us isn't just about us. Us is about the body of Christ. We're connected to Jasmine. We're gonna love her. We're gonna treat her like our own. We're gonna be there for her. Friends, there's more in us. 
God has got big plans for this church. <laughs> and it looks a whole lot like loving messy people. Messy people like me. Messy people like you. Messy people who forget to turn off their cell phones in the front row. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Is it your first time here? Yes. Oh. All right. I, are you going to come back? Okay, he's going to come back. He's going to come back. Oh, man, that's awesome. See, this is a family. We're not a bunch of phonies. We're a family. We got stuff. We ain't perfect. We ain't perfect. I ain't perfect. I've already fed you seven times. But this is what a family looks like. This is what it feels like. We're family. Yeah, hallelujah is right. Don't, don't take what God's doing here for granted. Let's not take it for granted. This is special. This is something that we're going to talk about in eternity. I believe this church is on the launching pad and it's just getting started. There's a reason God secured that venue for us. There's a reason God's up to something. We can't see it all. It feels like chaos, but he's in it and he's doing something powerful. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for each and every person under the sound of my voice whether present today or whether watching online, I just pray for the chaos that has found them. God, we don't take it lightly. It hurts. And the enemy is, is very keen at whispering lies in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our pain. And we are adept at, 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 at believing the lie from the enemy. God, I just thank you that somehow through the power of the risen Christ and the, and the enduring work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us, God, I just pray that we would be able to discern the voice of the liar and the, from the voice of truth. God, you are at work and your timing, God, it, it, it's training, you're training us. I just pray that we would be obedient today and this week just to release whatever Absalom is in the way from us making that jump from me to us. God, help us, preserve us, keep us, protect us, God safeguard us and safeguard what we have at this church. God, it's something special, something that I've never seen in my lifetime. I thank you for blessing us and blessing this church. With every head bowed and every eye closed, whether you're here or online, you want to know Jesus and you don't know Jesus. Let me be clear. To know Jesus is to live with him forever. And all the other people have made that decision. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. Don't you leave this place or turn off your television or wherever you're watching this on. Um, your computer, don't turn it off without having made this decision. Pray a prayer like this. Say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I believe you died for me. For me. You loved me that much. Thank you for not giving up on me when I gave up on myself. Thank you for the work you're doing in my life. I make you Jesus, my God, from this moment on. I exist for you. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's welcome them into the family of God. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Listen, if you made that decision, uh, we do have a, uh, a little, uh, little something-something for you at our Connect counter, a little free gift. And uh, if you need prayer, we, are, we have our prayer team. We would love to pray with you. That's what families do. But as you leave this place, go with a smile on your face. No, no, that's good. Go with a smile on your face declaring that there is more in us. God bless you guys.